So have you ever been in a position where someone just came straight up and said, okay, so why do you believe in God? Tell me and tell me now. Um, I've only had it a couple times in my life. Um, but I'm going to tell you a story about one. It all be, kind of began with um, uh, the great commandment, um, which is listed so many times in the Bible. Love God, love neighbor, love yourself. And then you know Jesus goes on and, and talks about what love means in incredible ways. So this is going to be the first of a three-part series. And so today I'd like to just talk about loving God and what does that mean. And in the next series, talk about neighbor and then finally get around loving self. But on this one, in terms of being loving God, I want to share 1 John 4, 9 and 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son to the world so that we might live through him in this love. Not that love God, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be atoning sacrifice for our sins. So this story goes back a long time ago. And I was blessed with the opportunity to lead a group on a youth choir tour. Now each year we take tours, you know, we sing for churches, nursing homes, shelters, prisons, you know, all of which require many hours of preparation. One avenue, you know, that we use to prepare is an overnight retreat. And it's a great blessing for, uh, musically and for community building, but it's also a weapon for the adults. And to corral a herd of group of kids running around everywhere, it's exhausting. And at the conclusion of one retreat, the youth were headed out the door with sleeping bags and bedhead, and we were all anxious to go home. And I was cleaning the choir room to prepare for Sunday morning's worship. And a group of youth led a young man to me who was knocking at the church front door. Now, John was a big man. He walked in with wild eyes and announced to all who could hear, I was driving down the road outside your church when I decided to end my life. I would drive into the next big tree. Then I saw your steeple, and I thought I would give the first person I met a chance to give me a reason not to follow through. He dropped his mic and kind of stood there. The kids looked at me. John was a tall man in his 20s, obviously chemically altered and desperate for answers. So I sent the youth home, and John and I walked to a sunlit sanctuary, and he wasn't really ready to listening. He wasn't in any shape, but he had plenty to say. First thing right out of the box, he tried to scare me. He said, you know, I could take this Coke can and crush it in your face. And I chuckled and I told him straight up, you are too high to pick up your Coke. And then John smiled and then he cried. And then he poured out his story and we spent the entire day in the large open space with colored stained glass light shifting across the room. We sat on a pew face to face. And, when, and while he spoke, the chemical effects began to subside and finally he addressed the profound questions of life. Who is God and does God care? Prove it. Is Jesus the only way? And what's up with hypocrites and so forth? As I listened, I prayed. Now all those years, an expensive seminary training raised through my mind. And my prayer was, why me? I am too tired to think clearly. I have answers to all of these questions that satisfy me, but I don't think I have answers that are gonna help Big John. And how do I, how does anyone articulate the gospel in such a way that proves God's existence to someone who stands negatively to hear it. God is not to be proved. We began our talking about love, and I suggested that a providential God answered a prayer that John prayed in his car driving down the road, even though John didn't know he prayed. Our meeting, our conversation, this sanctuary, metaphorically and physically, were acts of love on God's part. John and I talked all day, and when Big John left the church that evening, I was assured that he was in a better place and we committed to communicate. We have for probably, what, 20 years. And as I drove home, 
I wondered if the nature of God was adequately shared that afternoon. I decided to trust God for the rest, but to my surprise, what really haunted me was the question of whether or not the nature of God was adequately shared during the retreat the night before. Did I falsely assume the youth were in a better spiritual place than Big John? Did they share the same questions about God? Was I as clear and direct in expressing how I experience God and who I believe God to be? Those are great questions. Ultimately, I mean, this is it. Who is God? I mean, my answer, one word, love. Now, wait a minute. That word needs to be redefined. Love, it's, it is way beyond our human considerations. Divine love is something, is something more. As a noun, divine love has a depth and a magnitude beyond any limitations. I mean, I'll confess, human love often has limitations. As a verb, divine love has a reach and a breadth beyond all boundaries, including sacrifice. I confess, I think human love in action often has boundaries. And the crazy part for me is that the noun and the verb can never be separated in divine love. They are indistinguishable. God loves it, and it's always manifest in action. Humanity separates the two. We can love God and yet be unloving. That is not even possible in divine love. Now, this part blows my mind. God loves me, and that love has action. I'm going to call it grace. God loves me in spite of my sin, my selfishness, my idolatry, my pride, as well as my justifications. Yet in my humanness, I can claim to love while acting just the opposite. But that's not who I'm called to be. I am called to become the divine image of God within me, the divine image of love. I long to live up to that divine love within me. This is a sanctified place, and it is my desire to reside there, yet in spite of my best intentions, I falter. All of my comments that follow are going to stand on this widened awareness of divine love. Inseparable noun and verb, which is exemplified in Christ and available to me. Now, back a few moments when I asked the question, ultimately, who is God? One word, love. How is love manifest? Well, I'm going to start with the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is an incredibly powerful part of the Christian church's understanding of who God is and how God relates to humanity. The Trinitarian concept has guided faithful Christians for centuries. I have a great appreciation for the theological perspective, and at the same time, I fear that humanity limits and distorts who God is as we stand behind the Trinity. Ooh, hold on, Timmy's going to get in trouble now. Take a moment, seriously, take a moment before you, before you even listen any further, and name the attributes of God that describe your clearest understanding of who God is. Go ahead, like, like name them inside your head. Who is God? Name, name the attributes. You got a few? Any? So if you were to ask me, who is God, I would choose, you know me, I would choose love. And then I would add the many manifestations of love. I would pick forgiveness, a restorer, encourager, provider, 
for whom I'm accountable, redeemer, and, and so on, all these words I would pick. Now, how do I experience these attributes? How do I understand these attributes to describe God? Since the beginning of creation, God has been seeking a relationship with me, with all of humanity. God has reached out in uncountable ways, including, but certainly not limited to, pursuit as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If I were to tell you how I experience God as love, I would have to begin with God as my Creator, who loves me and longs to be in a loving relationship with me. But I could not summarize my understanding without reflecting on love as expressed by Christ in the stories he told, the loving way he lived, and the selfless love he exemplified in his death. I would not complete my understanding without sharing how I have experienced that love, felt it, and been moved by love through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would long to share how I have witnessed God's love in the people around me, loving me, and holding me accountable to love. I cannot share with you who God is without sharing with you the many ways I have experienced God. Is that fair? It is important to me to remember that the Trinity is a monotheistic theology. There is one God who we experience in different ways. However, I feel fear that faithful people unwittingly, di unwittingly dissect the Trinity to a polyistic understanding, separating the various manifestations of God into individual entities. Have I lost you? Well, hold on. So, um, last summer, I enjoyed the opportunity to ask several youth groups how they experience the Trinity. This is a couple of summers ago. And when I ask this question, to which part of the Trinity do you identify the most? How would you answer? Well, I am no longer shocked that faithful people, just like this college group that I was talking to, they divide evenly between the three acts of the Trinity as their primary understanding of who God is. They all relate to God primarily in different ways. And when I ask, which part of the Trinity do you struggle with? Where is, there, where is it difficult for you to relate, comprehend, and identify with you as you look at the Trinity? And I am no longer shocked that faithful people in many, many different groups divide evenly between each other of the three as their primary struggle. It's a beautiful thing the diverse manner in which God reaches out to humanity, knowing that a diverse humanity would need a diverse reaching. I feel like i got to say that again. Rewind. Play. It is a beautiful thing, the diverse manner in which God reaches out to humanity, knowing that a diverse humanity would need diverse reaching. However it is that you relate to the Holy Spirit or find God or Jesus Christ, which one is your primary avenue to experience God? It might com be completely different for other members of your family. And which is the one that you struggle to comprehend and you don't get? It's going to be something different from someone else in your family. But God is so cool that God reaches out in different ways because we are a different people. Now, why do we latch on to just one part of who God is as a complete understanding of who God is? Um, it teeters on polyistic thinking, you know, if we divide it up too much. Our denomination is often linked to a particular form of the Trinity as an identifying mark of the community of people. Some traditions focus on God as creator. Others focus on Christ. 
others focus on the Holy Spirit. You can even see it in the titles on church signs in their front lawns. With human pride, we all have the tendency to perpetuate our focus as the ultimate understanding of God, which is completely cool until we exclude others due to conviction in our own perspective. I see so much division going on. Churches that are all about the power of the Holy Spirit and churches that are you know, all in on Christ, but yet maybe not experiencing the Holy Spirit. Or churches that are based on tradition and creation. That's all cool. God reaches in so many different ways. But we're just a better people and a more faithful people as long as we keep looking in different places to see a God who's reaching in different ways. Now, a while ago when I suggested a list of attributes, I asked you, ask, asked you for yours, that would, you know, how do we describe God? How do I describe God? And among those attributes, forgiveness and restoration come to the top of my list. Now, how do I fully experience these? Well, I understand them in the Old Testament as I reel about Israel and God's relentless pursuit and continued relationship with a people in need of forgiveness and resurrection. Yeah, I see it in the Old Testament. I also experience these traits in personal and knee-buckling ways through the Holy Spirit, this forgiveness and restoration. However, it is Christ who has the most profound effect on my understanding. Nothing shapes my perspective more than the prodigal son. Nothing moves me more than the story of Jesus' forgiving relationship with the prostitute. Nothing inspires me to exemplify forgiveness and seek restoration other than Jesus on the cross. I, Timothy Allen Morrison, cannot adequately describe my theologic perspective of God without telling you about Christ. The scripture, no one gets to the Father through me? Well, it's definitely true for me. Now, even with that foundation under me, I am left with important questions. Hang on, church. Is it possible for someone to understand every attribute we assign to God and live faithfully to those attributes and be in complete relationship with God without ever saying, I experience the Holy Spirit? Maybe that's you. Is it possible for one of our denominations to focus so entirely on the Holy Spirit that God the Creator is never addressed or recognized? Now, is it Jesus who defines my life? Or is it divine love as witnessed in Jesus? Now I'm getting in shaky ground. Hold on. Is it possible for one to live a life of every attribute you and I assigned to God and live a Christ-like life without ever recognizing Christ as Savior and yet be in complete relationship with God? Do I sometimes unwittingly focus on Jesus the man to the detriment of the divinity revealed through the man? I'll say it another way. Is it possible to be Christ-like without saying the name Jesus or without knowing Jesus as a way to the Father without ever being taught? Is it possible to claim a relationship with Jesus and not be Christ-like at all? Can you and I tout all the scriptures and say everything that we have learned about Jesus and yet not be loving? I wonder how God feels about that. Is it possible to live and love like Christ and not know the name Jesus. Now I wonder how God feels about that. 
The scripture still rings true. There is no way to the Father but through Christ. But does the word Christ name a man or define a way of living and loving? Ultimately, is God with concern, is God concerned with our decisions to live lovingly? Or is God concerned with the places that we were inspired to live lovingly? There is no way to the Father but through Christ. Well, how do we interpret the word Christ? Now, for my systematic theologian out there, my colleagues, I am not using a traditional way of defining the words Jesus and Christ. Um, I'm picking a new definition for these two words, and I'll explain. Allow me to define the word Jesus as the man who walked on the earth, born in Bethlehem, died in Jerusalem. And allow me to define the word Christ as the divine manifestation of love within the man. Include every act of peace, kindness, generosity, sacrifice, forgiveness, tolerance, and love evident in the stories Jesus told and the choices Jesus made. Just for a moment, distinguish between the things that made Jesus Christ truly human and what made him truly divine. And just for the purpose of this conversation between you and I today, name the things that distinguish humanity as Jesus, the details about the man. And just for you and my conversation, all the things that distinguish divinity as Christ, all the love that we see in the man, and consider which is the path to God. I imagine God is interested in our pursuit of divine love as we grow into the image of God within us. I cannot imagine that God's self-esteem needs humanity to embrace allegiance to a human concept of a man named Jesus. However, I believe God's agenda for our lives is for us to embrace allegiance to the manifestations of divine love found in Christ. When the beating heart inside Jesus ceased to beat as Jesus hung on the cross, what happened? What atonement took place? Is it the blood of a human Jesus that brings salvation or the divine love of Christ that ushers salvation? Personally, as for me, I am saved through the love of Christ. Christ had to die on the cross in order that that love would be manifest. And through that love, my sins are forgiven, and I have a relationship with God that changes everything. Now, I began this line of thinking with the Trinity as a way of diverse reaching by God to be in relationship with a diverse humanity, you and me. I remind myself the Trinity is a monolistic theology. There is one God yet different paths to realize who God is. I don't believe that God is offended when faithful people do not connect with the Holy Spirit. I do not believe God is offended when humanity struggles to understand God's role in creation as the author of the universe. Equally, I don't believe God is offended when humanity does not recognize God's incarnation as Jesus. God has one concern humanity's ability to claim divine love. For God is love and created humanity in the image of divine love so that we all may inherit the salvation that comes through divine love. Now, I realize I've said some big stuff today that may go against your tradition and how you have thought about and clung. 
I just feel like I have learned so much about love by really focusing on the differences between the divine and the human part of Jesus. And I just that want, I want that thought to challenge your thinking as well. Now, I am concerned that these assertions seem universalistic. It may appear that I believe that human love is all that is required for salvation. Nope. No, it is not. Remember, I'm not talking about human love, that just being a loving human is okay. Only divine love ushers salvation. Therefore, I do not believe that every religion on earth is a pathway to God. For example, other faiths may value pacifism, which is certainly not Christ-like. But love sometimes demands bold action and is not passive in the least. For me, love as defined by God is probably beyond my human comprehension of love. This is much more than nonviolent or simply being nice to one another or live and let live. People in other cultures and at other times may be completely faithful to their concept of God and yet be unloving. Similarly, people in the Christian culture may declare Jesus Christ as Lord and they are mean bullies. And this is hypocrisy. And I grieve that those who live in this, that who live this way, that they are not self-aware enough to recognize it. Well, I am growing in this confidence. God is concerned with our destination of experiencing divine love and not the avenue in which we find it. And for me, the path to divine love is best found in Christ. And I could not find it myself or in any other way. Yet I will not deny that someone else cooler than me could find it another way. Now, this next comment stands upon the unique definitions of Jesus. We got to get back to that. Jesus the man and Christ love manifest. Hold on. If I must choose between offering someone Jesus and offering someone Christ, I'm going with Christ. I don't know if you noticed, but back when I said I was talking to Big John, I just, I didn't focus on um, anything but love. I felt like that's what he needed to hear at that time and not how I found love. Deep in my heart, I believe that Christ is the way. It is love that ushers in salvation. This is why mission is vital to the Christian agenda. To offer incredible love, therefore inspire incredible love in others is God's agenda for humanity. If I have the opportunity to offer Jesus, the manifestation of love revealed to me, then I am giving a gift which help others know the depth of divine love expressed in a man on a cross. This is why I strive to feed the hungry, even if I don't put a Bible under the plate. This is why I believe our church buildings belong to the mission field in which we leave, and not to the members of the congregation who prayed for the bricks, paid for the bricks and the mortar. This is why I think our church facilities should be open to community groups, you know, as long as their reason for existence is consistent with Christ-like living, but even though they're not preaching Jesus. This is evangelism through invitation to use sacred space. Similarly, this is why the church participates in secular events such as trunk or treat or independent celebration and school events. Hopefully, while our communities enjoy the welcome and hospitality, they will grow in curiosity about our faith and seek to become a part of the journey with Christ. I pray that I show the love 
of Christ first. And that soon after I offer Jesus next. I bet that's challenging for you, but it's been something that's in my head and I wanted to share it with you. All of this, every part of the Trinity is about love. This is who God is, how God interacts, and who God calls us to be. Those who understand this kind of life-changing divine love understand who God is, regardless of the manner in which God was revealed to them. Now, when the next big John confronts me, demanding proof of God, I pray that I will be ready to describe who I understand God to be and reflect on the many ways God reaches out to me to be in relationship with me. I pray the next big John will hear love from my heart and want that kind of love in his own. I hope to speak of what it means to be loved by God and then to share it with what it means to love God. Back to the big questions. Ultimately, who is God? For Tim Morrison, one word, love. Now, wait a minute. That word needs to be redefined. Divine love. To love the noun and to show love, the verb, is indistinguishable. This first part of a three-part series on the Great Commandment begins with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because this is the place where we begin to comprehend comprehend who God is and who God has called us to be. May your day be filled with growing and divine love as you grow into who you were created to be. Love God.